Imagine with me, if you can, that you are a father or a mother, and you're raising a gifted boy, and you know ahead of time what they'll actually be good at in life. You know well in advance that this boy that you're raising will be very good at playing the violin. In fact, he's going to be so good at playing the violin that one day he'll play in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Now, granted, you knew all of this ahead of time. And I know what you're probably thinking if you're a parent like me, man, this would be really nice to know these things ahead of time. But follow where we're going. You see, as a parent, knowing these things, you're going to do your research, right? You're going to find the best violin teacher in your city to teach your son. And you end up starting off with just a relatively cheap starter violin. Uh, there's no reason to get him the best just yet. He begins practicing at 10 years of age, and you see him growing in his skill tremendously. In fact, by the time he's 16 years old, you buy him a much better violin than the one that he started with, so he can continue his learning. As he graduates high school, you see that this is his calling, if you will, in life. And you, having the funds to purchase the best, you purchase a Stradivarius violin worth $3 million as a gift for your boy. Your boy now, a grown man, goes on to thrive in this unique skill and joins the Boston Symphony Orchestra in his mid-twenties, thrilling your heart that the investment you made was worth it. But what if you knew all of these things about your son in advance, and you got him the proper training, and you even got the best violin, but he refused to practice and just tried to wing it? Would he ever make it to the Boston Symphony Orchestra? Would that ability that you knew he had ever be realized? Ask yourself. You see, it seems as though many of those that have been gifted with unique and tremendous skills, they get the spotlight without anyone actually noticing the work and support behind the scenes of the parent who in this case, in this illustration, paid with their time, right? You took the boy to the music lessons weekly, encouraged them to keep going when it got hard, and you even spent your money paying for the music lessons, buying the violin, and upgrading the instrument as they became more proficient in their craft. So there's something very similar that actually happens to all of us. Something very similar happens to all of us uh, when it comes to God and what he has given to us. You see, in this story here that we're going to be looking at of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we need to remind ourselves that many of the things that we're most proud of and take credit for, they're not really there because of how amazing and incredible we are but because we actually have an incredibly gracious and loving Heavenly Father that's looking out for all of us. In fact, we're going to be looking at specifically four things here in this text. Four things specifically in this text. And I'm, believe, I'm talking specifically to those that are followers of Jesus. Number one, we're going to be looking at the outer tension, verses 1 through 7. Number two, we're going to be looking at the inner brokenness, verses 8 through 16. Number three, we're going to be looking at the supernatural remedy, verses 17 through 23. And number four, simple obedience, verses 24 through 28. So number one, the outer tension, verses 1 through 7. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. 
And when the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. See, as we start off looking at this text, just a quick note as to the author of this book. The best answer to who wrote 1 Samuel would be an obvious Samuel. But other portions may have been gathered by a few other authors like Nathan or Gad. Uh, Because Samuel's death is actually recorded here in chapter 25, if we were to look further ahead in the book. See, one thing that we find in this book, as it gives us a narrative, is the man named Elkanah that's mentioned. He was a polygamist. It means that he had more than one wife. In this case, he had two wives, Hannah and Penina. See, more than likely, one of the things that we see here in the text that makes it clear, Hannah was his first wife probably. But he married a second wife to carry on the family line rather than divorcing her because he actually loved Hannah. This man was a very devout religious man who made the pilgrimage to Shiloh. It's about a 15 mile or so day's journey uh, every year to worship the Lord of hosts. That's what the text here says. It says, In fact, this is actually the first time in the Old Testament that the phrase the Lord of hosts is mentioned, which implies that God is so sovereign over all powers of heaven and earth. In fact, one of the things that's interesting here is Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, they outline the requirements for sacrifices in great detail. Some sacrifices were to be burned before the Lord and not consumed, whereas other sacrifices, in this case, more than likely was consumed by the person offering and their family. In this text, we see Elkanah give Penina a portion for both her children and herself. He gives a double portion because he loves Hannah. And he wants to soften the blow of her being childless, which really back then was a very big deal if you had no children to pass on the line. In fact, that culture, that was a big, big curse, if you will. He wanted to honor Hannah by giving her a double portion and softening the blow of her being childless. You see, in this text, we see that God's divine providence was the reason she was not able to have children. This was no accident, but a part of God's divine plan that she was not able to have children at this time. The difficult situation of not being able to have children was magnified by the tension that came from Elkanah's other wife, Penina, who the text says here was her rival who provoked her severely. It especially made it worse every year they came to offer the sacrifice. And it was obvious Penina was more blessed, if you will, in that culture because she had many children. And Hannah was cursed because she had none. As a side note, any time polygamy is ever mentioned in scripture, there is always tension that arises. You can see that right from the family in the patriarchs going through the kings. Every time, it's never a good end result. In fact, this putting down of Hannah that's mentioned here was probably the most vile thing that could have been done to a married woman at that time. Their identity was wrapped up in how many children they bore for their husband in passing down the family line. In essence, what Penina did here was tell Hannah she was worthless and she herself was valuable. In fact, um, one of the things that's interesting is Penina's name actually means ruby or precious stone, which may explain why she was full of herself, whereas Hannah's name actually means grace or favor, which only crushed Hannah even more each time this was brought up. 
It had gotten to the point where Hannah would not even eat the portion of the sacrifice that was given to her. What a, what a travesty. There's a lot here to unpack, but I want to ask you, which person here can you probably relate to more, Penina or Hannah? Are you someone that's got it going well and you don't just enjoy what you have, you actually flaunt it and you belittle others that aren't where you are? See, in, in some cases, you're right. Yes, others should work hard and put more effort in. But what if they're in Hannah's situation that we find here? She couldn't have children. It wasn't going to happen unless God actually changed the situation. Many of us start in Hannah's situation. We're desperate, we're broken, we don't have much going for us, and it seems that it's never going to get better. And all of a sudden, God breaks through and blesses us abundantly. As we continue to prosper, we start forgetting what it was like to be broken, to be hurting emotionally, physically, spiritually, maybe living paycheck to paycheck without having anything to set aside. You see, we need to be very careful that we don't start taking those things for granted and thinking we're something special because there are others that are less fortunate than us. Maybe you're in that Hannah position, situation right now, in fact. You may seem that most of the nation, just like this at this time, nothing, nothing is going right for you. Just like everything going around in our culture right now. Nothing. Never mind, you know, you wanting to, to uh, get those things that you desired. You just want things to go back to normal, you know, whatever that definition of normal is for you. You see, the, the current situation for you may seem very hopeless. You've been bothered by what seems to be years of all the success others have around you, that they may rub in your face as they flaunt it online um, or to you even personally. You find yourself constantly used by others as a scapegoat to score points for a certain political side of the argument. You see, in this moment, you actually have a choice to make. Either you allow it to get you plummeting further into depression, or you can take it to someone that can actually do something about it. Someone who truly can change your situation at any moment. Take your brokenness to God and have him do what only he can. Second point we're going to be looking at here is inner brokenness, verses 8 through 16. It says that Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Hannah is broken. Hannah is absolutely devastated by the very fact that she can't have children. This is crushing her. It's crushing her soul. 
See, what we see here in the text is Hannah's husband is so concerned for her, and he, he asks why she won't eat, and he tries to reassure her that she's loved. By stating that he cares and she would be happy, she should be happy that he loves her and cares for her more than if she had ten sons. What Elkanah should have done was put Penina in her place, but he seems to be such a nice guy that he doesn't want to stir any more trouble here. Ultimately, Elkanah thought that as long as he could tell Hannah he hoped, he cared, hopefully she would be comforted enough by his love for her. You see, this was simply not the case. And in brokenness, Hannah cries out to God in her pain, begging and pleading that he would care for her. But she does something very unique. She actually tells God, if you give me a child, I will give him right back to you. He won't be mine. God, I just want to know that you care for me and not just Penina. There's a desperation here to where her husband's kind words would not heal the hurt inside. You see, we see also that Eli here, the priest that's sitting at the doorpost, he's monitoring what's going on. He's seeing what's going on with those coming in and out. He observes something seems... It seems a little bit off with what Hannah's doing here. And he makes the assessment that she must be drunk because she seems to be praying, mumbling silently rather than publicly as people normally did. But boy, was his assessment off. Just a point of application for those of us that are spiritual leaders. We may not always know exactly what's going on in the heart of those that we would like to help. Something we see clearly here that Eli got wrong, actually. One of the biggest mistakes many of us make when we feel abandoned, as Hannah does here, is looking for others to solve the inner brokenness instead of coming to God. A kind word from others may actually brighten our day and make us feel better, but only God can give us, through his word, and answering our prayers, what will actually sustain. See, if you are married, stop thinking that your spouse will help you in your hurt. Be like Hannah, cry out to God. Those closest to us may have actually no remedy to offer us, but God always does. Every one of us has a need for God, and that need can only be met by him and no one else. No one else could solve this dilemma that Hannah was in. So don't be afraid to cry out before God, bowing in brokenness before him. He is near to the broken harder, scripture says. He actually cares. Stop looking to, you know, what's going on now, the government to fix your most inner brokenness. And no money in the world will fix the broken inside. Don't even look to those who pray for you on a daily basis. Go to God directly yourself. See, come broken before him and maybe you'll realize there's only one thing that you can give the one who owns it all. You can give him yourself and everything that he has given you back. You may be trying to solve your brokenness by going to all the wrong places, trying to fix only what he can. Now, here's a question. Does God send people in our lives to help and encourage us? Well, yes, of course he does. But does that mean that they can always help us in our brokenness? Absolutely not. No. There is only things that God can do that others can't do if we humbly come before him. If we humbly come before him, we may also see a supernatural remedy. The supernatural remedy, number three, the supernatural remedy, verses 17 through 23. Look at this. It says, it says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Incredible. Incredible. God does something supernatural here. He answers her request in the affirmative. See, Hannah, she gets the news she wanted to hear. You're going to have what you've requested of God. Eli actually tells her the good news here. He says, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Hannah can't believe that her request for a son has been granted. And as soon as she hears the news, she no longer has the sad face that she had before. In fact, her face just beamed and she went ahead and ate some of her food. Maybe she ate her actual double portion. We don't know because she was probably starving during this time. See, it's absolutely fascinating. The text says that she returned home and the Lord remembered her. God gave her the exact thing she wanted so desperately. God actually provided that for her. She was a mother now. It didn't matter how many children Penina had. God answered her prayer and gave her a son. Hannah, right from the start, remembered what she had promised God. In fact, she said that she would bring her son back to serve him. So, so Hannah actually took it to heart and made sure that she got her little boy ready for the ministry. This was a supernatural remedy here. There was nothing that anyone but God could do in making Hannah able to have children. And he delivers precisely on what she asked. We see here that God turned Hannah's sorrow into joy, her defeat into victory. Now, if you have some time, look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And compare it and see how different Hannah's prayer is there to the prayer we found here in chapter 1. It's a contrast. It's a huge difference. In fact, Hannah names her son Samuel, which literally means heard or asked of God. God heard her heart was broken, and he responded. God answers and hears his children's cries, and he answers them, each one. Sometimes he answers with a peace that passes all understanding as we find in Philippians. That prayer that's mentioned by Paul specifically mentions to pray with thanksgiving, making our requests known unto God. We are to be grateful what, what, for what he's already given us. God may not always give us what we want, but he will always give you what you need. Always. You may not get any of this because to you, God may be a concept thrown around in vain. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent, turn from your sin, and know that he paid it all. Once you are one of his children, he will hear you, and he'll actually care for you as one of his own. But you need to start there. You see, all of us that are, children, are Christians, we're adopted into the family of God. It's a supernatural remedy that we have become sons and daughters of God through what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
We're naturally born sinners. You know, we're children of Satan needing redemption from sin. That's exactly what keeps us captive. But God supernaturally came into human history and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection we celebrated last week, who himself is God, he offers us eternal life and even abundant life here on this earth. So you're probably wondering, you know, I don't know. But here's the thing. If you come to God demanding in pride to give you eternal life, it doesn't work that way. You have to stop today and pray that God forgives you of your sin and makes you his child. And you'll be saved. God promises that. In fact, if you, if you do that, tell us about it. We would absolutely love to hear of what God is doing through his word here. In, God, in fact, when God delivers us supernaturally, we need to do something specifically. And the last thing that we're going to look at is we need to follow through in simple obedience. Number four, simple obedience, verses 24 through 28. says this, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood, who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Hannah does not just do her best to be a good mother. She follows through on her promise to God. She said, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him right back to you. And that's exactly what she does here in bringing Samuel back to serve under Eli the priest. Don't think that this was something easy to give back to God what you desperately wanted for so long. This was no easy thing for a mother to raise a boy, getting him ready to serve God and having to bring him back to the priest that promised that she would have a son. It's not always easy to follow through on giving back to God. But we see here clearly that she tells Eli the priest, I'm here to give back what God has given me. I'm not here just to offer a sacrifice, Eli. I'm here to simply obey and follow through by giving back my son, the one I prayed for and desperately wanted. It then says here at the end that they worship together. So I want to get specific here. Let's bring this into our situation. Could it be that God is withholding certain things from us that we so desperately want because he knows we won't obey his word and give back what he, is, what he has given us or may still give us? Let's dig a little deeper. If you're struggling with your finances, could it be that you're not seeing any breakthrough because you're just stingy and you waste what you already have? Could that be the case? Maybe God has and does want to give you more. But if he did give you more, you would end up spending it on yourself, as you do now, instead of giving it back to him in whatever way that he directs you to. It's not, we're not just talking about giving to the church as an offering. When was the last time you actually were moved with compassion to help others in need? What about the extra time that you wanted to get those books read that you never have time to read? Have you been getting that opportunity and wasting it still? Are you and I still wasting what we've been given only to ask God for more time as we see the travesty around us? See, it's important. We need to pay attention here. We need to stop offering God 
lip service sacrifice and realize that he is a giver and he wants you and me to be givers too. If you and I are disciples of Christ, we should be givers instead of takers. We give because we've been given to. You know, it's really a shame that uh, so many Christians are very stingy with what God has blessed them with. And, and many times we wonder why people are not moved by the gospel. They don't care what we have to say. They don't want Christ if he's anything like us. See, here's what we find here in the text. In this text, Hannah worshipped the Lord, but she obeyed before she worshipped. Samuel grows to be a prophet in Israel. And what's interesting to note here is that we don't really know much about Penina's many children, but we know a whole lot about Samuel. In fact, Samuel confronts Saul later on, who's a king, with his lack of simple obedience and tells him specifically that obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes it's as basic as scripture says, give and it will be given to you. So don't be surprised when God doesn't send help your way when you've been stingy with what he's already given you. See, here's what's really neat about Hannah. Hannah simply obeys and brings back Samuel to serve the Lord. Here's what's interesting. She's blessed with three more sons and two daughters, and we actually read that later on in chapter 2. So God still continually blessed her. What if the thing you and I are broken over that we've not received an answer from God on it's because we have not given back to God what he's already blessed us with. So as we finish, I want to ask you a very simple question in regards to all the things that we've, we've discussed. One simple question. What have you given back that God has given you? What have you given back that God has given you? Have you given it all back? If God's given you life, are you living that life for him? If he's given you a family, are you, are you loving them as God has loved you unconditionally? See, if you've been blessed financially, are you willing to give away anything that God would ask of you? Not what you would want, but what God would actually want you to do. And that would include actually reading his word and seeing and being convicted by the things that are around you. See, there are many things that we as broken people ask God for. But maybe the answer is in our commitment to obey before he gives us those things. You see, he tells us to be faithful in the little things first.